have you. Uh, we've been in a series for this month of July that we've called Pretty Ugly People. Uh, and we're looking about some of the things that, you know, we can be dressed up on the outside and yet still have some, some not so pretty things happening on the inside. And uh, we're talking about some of those aspects of life. Uh, and, and I think it's been pretty engaging. In fact, last week we talked on the issue of anger. I probably got more one-on-ones, um, uh, text messages, whatever, saying, man, Pastor Jim, like, you know, like that was the one for me. So uh, I know that these are making some impact in your life, and we're going to continue that today. So I'm so glad that you're here. If you're joining with us online this morning, so glad. I know there are some folks that are with, I think the Manuelas are watching from Missouri today. So uh, we're glad that this tool helps you to stay engaged with your church family and others that might be joining, and those of you in the house today as well. If you have your Bibles this morning, or if you want to jump on the Real Life app this morning, uh, there's going to be some notes we're going to put on the screen, but there'll be a lot more of them that uh, you can follow along on our app today as well, and that will uh, give you uh, something to look at or maybe review all week long as well as we go through this. In Mark chapter 7, this is kind of the lead-in to our entire series, because there were a group of religious leaders that were always trying to kind of trap Jesus and twist and turn his words, and and they would find little things, uh, petty little outside things, and try to blow them up into a really big deal. And that's what we read about specifically in Mark chapter 7. And one of the things that these religious leaders saw was Jesus' disciples moving through the marketplace. And as they were getting their food and eating it, they didn't ceremonially wash their hands. That was part of the practice of the elders. And so that was just another point of contention that they brought to Jesus. Like, how can you say all of these things and yet you abandon our human belief or the, the, the voices of the elders and how we should conduct ourselves? And so, you know, they were always concerned about the outside, but Jesus was always concerned about the inside, about our heart. And this was his response. So he called the crowd to them and said, listen to me, every one of you, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of their body. And then he went on to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is written, and it comes from within a person's heart. And so as much as they wanted to stay to the outside and look all pretty and show everybody what they could do, Jesus called them out to say, yeah, you look pretty on the outside, but you're ugly on the inside. And he goes on kind of now more specifically and pointing to these religious leaders. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, and he uses a pretty strong word, he calls you hypocrites. For it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I guess this is really wanting to be a truth for you and I to wrestle with and deal with as well. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are just merely human rules and traditions. You have let go of the commands of God and you hold more tightly to human traditions. You know, I think my whole life I heard that the church was full of hypocrites. And I don't think the church is full of hypocrites, but I think there are some issues that you and I can be hypocritical about. There are some things that we recognize that we kind of want to play out on the outside or let everybody see like what we are on the outside, but inside like Jesus, you realize that we're, we're missing the mark. 
In fact, the word in the Bible, in the work in the original, the Greek word was hupokrites, and it means an actor who was playing the part or who was pretending. And that's what Jesus called out the religious people of his day. Yet you talk a game, but, but let's be honest, you're hypocrites. You're just an actor playing a part. A hypocrite is a person who pretends to have certain beliefs about what is right, but who behaves in ways that disagree with those beliefs. And so I want to challenge your heart and my heart on some things that, that I think God would not be so much worried about the outside that, that he would want to put his finger on some of the things that we do or don't do so well on the inside and with our heart. I told you that we started the series talking about jealousy and envy, and last week we talked about anger and seemed to ring a lot of bells with that one. And today I probably do the same. I'm going to take on the issue of greed today. I'm going to check your heart where it comes to the idea of greed. Let me start with a story. Envy and greed were walking down a road one day when they were confronted by an angel. The angel offered one of them everything they could wish for. The only catch was that the other one would receive twice as much. Greed wanting twice as much, quickly asked Envy, you can choose first. So after a little thought, Envy asked for one blind eye. (laughs) I think the whole point of greed sometimes is that more isn't always better. How many have found that to be true, right? When it's done out of a wrong spirit or out of a wrong heart, sometimes more isn't always better. And today I want to take a couple of minutes and talk about how greed can affect us and how to overcome it by building the virtues of generosity and contentment. Well, I guess if we were asked to define what is greed, and and maybe within ourselves, do I have a problem with it? I would say if you are human, and if you are probably an American today, you probably have a struggle with greed. Webster defines it as a selfish and excessive desire for more than what is needed. Everybody say more with me. Come on, come on, more. The idea of greed is that we can't be satisfied with what we have. There is this internal push always for more. And maybe the reasons we don't address it as often is because sometimes it can be hard to definitively define greed. You probably have your definition or what you see or what you determine as greed as you look at others, but sometimes it's very difficult for us to understand it or definitively define it for ourselves. You see, what may be excess to one isn't necessarily excess to another. I think there is some subjectiveness to the issue. Some of you might know the name of Gordon Gekko from a movie a long time ago. Let's listen to his definition of greed. Well, that's the end of it. Let's see if we can find the beginning of it if we relaunch it. Thank you very much. Nope. All right, so never mind that. We're going to move on. He thought it was a good thing, all right? I'm here to tell you we're going to look at it a little bit differently today. So when we think about this idea of greed, I think it comes down to the idea of desires and wants. 
And not that they are necessarily wrong, right? Because it can be natural to have desires and wants. We could say, I need clothes, or I need transportation, or I need certain technologies to do my job. I need a a phone, or I need a, a computer, and all of that is okay. That can be good until it becomes selfish and excessive. That's when we start to flirt with the idea of greed, right? We recognize that where is that line, though, that helps me that if I begin to cross the line from needs and desires, when does it become unhealthy or even ungodly? When is it that more than what is needed is the issue that I am struggling with? And so I would advocate today that there is a line somewhere between where need and desire begin to wear thin is what you and I need to pray about and that line that needs to get established in each of our hearts. You see, I think there is some subjectiveness to this. It would probably be wrong other than what the Bible directly details for us, and we're going to read about some of that today. But when we think of all of the different areas of which greed could be affecting in our heart, I recognize, I guess I would just challenge all of us to first of all make it internal about us before we start looking about how we think that it affects others. Does that sound like a good deal for all of us today? You see, I have a motorcycle. Are motorcycles a need or a desire? Is it having more transportation or more things? You see, my bike, I could say, is economical transportation. It can also be a part of my mental health. In fact, somebody had a sign that says, you never see a motorcycle parked outside of a psychiatrist's office. Those of you that are bikers, you'll get that. But other might people say, oh, pastor, that seems like excess. Why you have a truck? Why would you need a motorcycle? And so that line that people want to determine for others, right, move all over the place. And so first of all, we have to desire what is going on in my heart that rubs that issue between need and desire. You see, some of you might have somewhat of an expensive boat or a camper, or maybe you have a cabin and and property out in the woods, or maybe you have a sports car or a gun collection, and you put a lot of money into those events or those excesses that that others might think that you have. And, And it begins to help determine, beyond me looking at my own life, what, what am I doing to consider what is happening in the lives of others? Is it greedy to have all of this stuff? And where do they fit in that line between need and desire? So let's look at our definition again. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more than is needed. Greed is desire gone bad when it is taken to extremes. And I think that as believers, we are called to draw the line differently between desire and need. In fact, Jesus said, what? Don't store up your treasures, what? On the things here in life. Things that can rust and 
be destroyed or where moths can jump in. All of these things that seem to drive us that, that we need to have more. I, I want this to fill my garage or my barns or my house. And we recognize Jesus said, you need to be careful on this idea of where desire and need happen on the line. And you as a follower of Christ need to maybe more than anyone else have a firm handle on the idea of contentment versus excess. And so let me give you maybe just a point of prayer for all of us this morning that before we end today, that I want to give you a moment just to really consider where your heart is on this issue. And maybe we can start by simply asking God, am I greedy? Do I feel this desire for more rather than the idea of contentment or blessing? So let me give you three quick lessons today, maybe to help to draw Again, in each and every one of us, don't think about anybody else today. Think about yourself. First of all, greed deals in the temporary, and we as followers of Christ are called to the eternal. You see, with greed, we're never satisfied. We never have enough. Our enjoyment is always limited as to either what's next or who has something that I don't have yet. And so we're seemingly always fixated on the temporal, on the natural, on the round. And we can never be satisfied. We can never be fulfilled. If some of you listen to Dave Ramsey, he would tell you to sell your bright, shiny new car and get a reliable beater and put that payment savings into your retirement. Now, how messed up is that, right? Come on, somebody, right? We don't want to listen to that, right? Why? We want that bright, shiny new car. Can we justify it? Is it a desire? Is it a need? Do we have to have the top of the line? Do we have to have all the bells and whistles? Do we? I don't know. That's the issue that we are called to fight for today. You see, a new car doesn't really make financial sense unless you're going to keep it for seven to ten years, which is hard for us to do when everyone else is driving the latest and the greatest, right? Doesn't it start to affect a lot of hearts today? Maybe nobody in this room, but aren't you tired of getting into your old rust bucket that's paid off? Right, that, that you're much better off financially, but you see everybody else driving and you know they, they have the online and they can do the Apple Play and they can start their car remotely. Doesn't it do something to our hearts for a lot of people? It starts to kind of spin that wheel for more, for being unsatisfied. You're doing the wise thing, but yet we recognize certainly in the world that we get to live in here in America, we can always be wild by what is the latest and the greatest. You know, Jocelyn left us a couple of months ago, and from time to time I would tell stories about her uh, while she was here, and I would get that face from the front row like, Dad, I can't believe you're telling another story. So she's not here anymore. <laughs> but I actually did talk to her on the phone and say, I'm going to tell a story about you this week. I couldn't see the face or the eye roll, but I'm sure I got it. 
So I want to tell you a lot of kind of some personal stories or just, I think, just to continue to draw us in, obviously, to all of this issue. One of the things with Jocelyn, when, we, when our new phones, you know, come up available. In fact, when, when we go to, to renew the contract, I don't know, we have AT&T, and, and one of the deals they always make is, listen, you can pay this off in the three years, but if you pay a little more every month, you can pay it off, um, you can trade in your phone earlier, right? And every time Jocelyn and I go, Jocelyn's like, that's the plan I want. I am not waiting. I want, when the new phone comes, I want the new phone, right? And we laugh about it. She's like, dad, you know, I can't wait. Like I need to have like the latest and greatest when it comes to that. Now my phone just got paid off last month. And I can't tell you how many times AT&T has reached out to me Dear Mr. Grove, our valued customer, do we have a new phone plan for you? Throw that old phone away and let us put you in the newest and the latest and the greatest, right? And I am holding out. Why? Because this phone is perfectly capable. Is it going to be as fast as the newest one? Is the camera going to be as great as the newest one? Can it do more than, than the newest one? No, but it can do everything that I need it to do. And I'm learning to be content. You see, there are all kinds of issues, and whether it's Jocelyn or me or you, we're always going to have our head a little bit on of a swivel that's going to affect our heart when it comes to this idea of greed. And I don't want to go like far down the road to think that, man, greedy people, we're just terrible people. No, I'm just talking about kind of these everyday little issues that have the ability just to kind of turn our heart just a little bit more where we're going to talk about leads us to some things that are not the way God has called on us to live. In fact, if we follow the Bible, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Amen. God bless you. That's it for Sunday. That's all I need to say. I mean, what else do we need to say, right? These are the words of Jesus that says, hey, watch out. Be careful, because it's easy for our heart to think that who we are and what matters and what makes us is by all the possessions and all the stuff that we have. He's not saying that we can't have stuff and we can't have possessions, but it's always a challenge, does that stuff have us? That's where the line is between the need and the desire. Yes, we can have things. Yes, we can enjoy the the fruits of our labor and, and of your hard work. And there's nothing wrong with having fine stuff or expensive stuff. But it's a matter of, does that rule my heart or does my heart always have itself in check? 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge us into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of evil you see so we recognize that greed will always be about temporary but God is calling you and I to think and to live eternally number two greed deals in selfishness we are called to live selfless lives first John chapter 3 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, 
How can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You see, the one thing that greed wants to do is to keep the circle coming inward for me to possess more and more. In fact, you'll read the story. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago where a guy kind of got into a windfall. He said, wow, I've got all kinds of blessings. I need to build bigger and bigger barns to hold my stuff. And then I got blessed with more and more again. So I needed to build bigger and bigger and bigger. And this whole idea of just hoarding and keeping rather than giving, to be selfless rather than selfish is one of the prime motivators of greed. And we can look pretty on the outside, but greed is rotting us from the inside out. You know, I can make a little rant that I'm not necessarily uh, in, in so many areas of just our spiritual life, but I think for you and I as people in our own planet that there are resources and ways that we need to take better care of the, the home that God gave for you and I to live in. We're, I'm not trying to be a tree hugger today, right? Or, or kind of go to some kind of extreme with us. But I think there is a consciousness that we have with one another with not only the needs that we have, but the world in which we are called on to live. A few years ago, as we began to partner with WorldServe and to understand the need of clean water, not only in Africa or among the Navajo Nation, but in our world in general, it, it did something to me the more that I recognized how frivolous that I've used the privileges and the resources that God has blessed me with as well. And I remember uh, I, the gym that I go to, that there would be a guy um, that would, would sh- you know, do sh- shave his beard or trim his, you know, his face at the gym. And and he would let the water run like full blast the whole time that he's shaving. I mean, it felt like 10 minutes. He's just kind of lollygagging. And, and the whole time, the water is running, 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 running. And, you know, after I got kind of connected with WorldSurf, man, I just, like, I wanted to just go and rip him away from the sink and shut off the water. And, like, do you know how precious water is? Right? Which sounds almost crazy to us, like in Erie, and that we live next to one of the Great Lakes and there seems to be water everywhere. But the more that we recognize the need of our brothers, right, is what First John is saying, that we are frivolous with, with our resources when we recognize that there are those. And that's why we invest with WorldServe. That's why last quarter we gave over $7,000 to world serve to help people in nations that don't enjoy the resources for you and I. That right now, just in this first month, we are taking for track and for pal for July, August, and September above and beyond our our budget that we're going to bless them with. We've already raised twenty five hundred dollars of the five thousand dollars that we want to bless with others. It's not about being selfish; it's about being selfless. In fact, God commanded Israel to have a Sabbath year every seven years so that he would give them an idea that you need to protect his world, our world, that he has given to us on loan. Thirdly, greed will move you from godly to idolatry. Colossians chapter 3 says, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and look at it with me on the screen, and what? And greed, which is what? Idolatry. 
So how is greed idolatry? Greed tries to satisfy our restless souls with things that were never meant to satisfy. See, God's desire is is that we can be complete, that we can be content, that we can be selfless, understanding the blessings that he has put into our life. Not being concerned about building bigger and bigger barns for all of our stuff that's never going to go with us, but we recognize that I need to calm my restless soul on the things that are no longer temporary, but to things that are eternal. You see, it wants to put you first and God second or third or fourth or somewhere else down the line. You see, if we ask the question or try to answer the question, am I greedy? Listen, it might be harder for you than how you determine it for someone else. Oh, look at them. Look what they have. Look at, and, and man, we get by this issue of greed because we let it be so outwardly focused. We look in our perceived excess about everyone else, but rarely do we ever ask God to come and examine our heart. Do we have the right spirit and the right heart in this? Luke chapter 18, a pretty familiar story. It says a young man that recently received his inheritance. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He just got this bundle of money. And he came to Jesus and he said, hey, I just recently heard that you could inherit eternal life. You don't have to do anything for it. You just get it. And I just got this just bundles and bundles of money. And now I hear that I can also inherit eternal life. How do I go about doing that? Jesus said, actually, that's right. But you lack one thing. How many know what the one thing was? Didn't have the right heart. His heart was based on what? Temporary. Man, look at all this wealth. Look at everything that I just received. Man, man, I am set for life. Yeah, you are set for this life. But God is not calling you and I to focus on the temporary. God's calling on you and I to focus on the eternal. And Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, you're lacking one thing. Your heart is not right. You have everything that the world is going to give you accolade to, but you're still going to miss out on eternity. And so what did he say? Go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor. Stop being selfish and start being selfless. Think about the issue of temporary versus eternal. And then when you do that, come and follow me because you will have great reward in heaven. But it says when the man heard this, He became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. I wonder what Jesus would say to us. There is one thing yet you lack. It all looks good on the outside, but if our heart is not right on this issue, we are not only really going to miss out in this life, but trust me, you're going to miss out on the life to come. I would say to you today, if you want a litmus test on your own greed, on our own greed, that when you get your paycheck, who gets the first disbursement? Why are you all so quiet? (laughs) If you're not even just a little bit greedy, who do you pay first? Do you pay somebody, something, utilities? Whatever, whatever, 
And then most of us, well, then God at some point. Listen, if you want a litmus test on do we all struggle with greed, then again, ask yourself, when you get your paycheck, who gets paid first? Listen, you're living in his house. You're living on his land. You're living with his power and his strength, his ability to bless you, and yet somehow God gets the scraps. See, if you're not a giver, you're not a tither, you're not an investor, you're a hypocrite. Am I wrong? No, you're playing the game, you're looking good, but see, nobody checks on your giving. We don't put it up on the screen. Hey, let's just put everybody's giving up on the screen. How many, boy, if you want to empty out a church, how many believe that would probably be the fastest way to do it, right? Talk about church growth seminar. I will lead a church empty out seminar. (laughs) We're going to challenge a hypocritical spirit in a believer as to where God is when it comes to greed. So how do we fight these tendencies First of all, we focus on generosity. We learn and we seek God to help us to give liberally. I think maybe the best way to pry our fingers of greed off of our hearts is to learn to be a giver. Matthew chapter six says, so that when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. They want to be honored by men. They want the applause of people, of of what they are doing. But I tell you this truth. They will receive a reward. It's not going to be a good reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then when your father sees what is done in secret, he will reward you in the appropriate ways and manner. So I think this is partially the idea. I think there's a number of of truths that come out of this. And I think that in one of the sense, it's kind of like a budget, right? So one of the things that kind of limits us to be able to give liberally is that a lot of us hopefully live on a budget. And you might hear of a particular need, and this is all good, but this is, again, the, 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 the challenge that we have to have with our heart. And then we hear a need. And we look, a lot of people don't budget, and so their finances and their money are all over the place, and they don't know that they could give or should give because they don't know what what their budget is all about. And so most of the time when we hear that, we don't give because, man, I I don't know where my, I don't know where my money's at, I don't know where my finances are, and so if I give to that, I mean, that check might bounce or this or that, so, so we just really stay away from that. Or if we do budget, we kind of realize, hey, I'm, I'm trying to be really good, and, and, and I just don't have, in the budget, it's not there. And so Jesus said, listen, what I want you to do is, I want you to give liberally. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. There's some part of it, you see, when God speaks to us out of a, a need that comes our way, Part of this verse is saying, don't be trapped in the budget, because like you heard Bailey say today, it's not in your hand, it's in his hands. 
right? And so there's going to be a moment where rationally we're going to say, I can't afford to do that. I would want to do that, but my budget, and listen, that's honorable. I get that. That's great. My budget's really tight, and I would like to give that. But when your heart is moved, right, over a need, the Bible says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give when your heart has been moved and believe that God who sees in heaven will reward you openly for your heart being open to that need, that godly need. Does that make sense? Right? Again, it's unreasonable giving. I'm not saying we do that all the time. I'm just saying that's how you know your heart is focused on generosity and giving liberally when you can trust God, even when you've done your best, but there's more that you feel that God wants you to do. And we break out of that mold to say, it's not mine anyway. You see, these are great lessons for you and I to learn what God can do through those of us that are fully committed to him. One of the reasons generosity is so effective in overcoming greed is it makes us aware of others' needs more than just my need. You see, when I'm greedy, I'm thinking about myself. But when I'm generous, I'm thinking about others. And again, maybe that's something for us to just pause and pray about today. What, what is most of my thinking about, about my stuff, about me, about what's next for me? But how many of us really are garnishing about how can I bless others? How can I take this little that I have, even maybe the little extra, so that I know that I can make somebody else's life just a little bit better? We focus on generosity to give liberally. Second of all, we learn to live in contentment, to be satisfied with what we have. You see, I think this is the slash, the human slash American. Because fortunate we get to live in a land where, man, it's all out there for us to go after. That we can have a lot of nice stuff. If you travel the world, listen, let's just be honest, the world does not live like you and I. And even though you might say, well, Pastor Jim, I live pretty modestly. I don't have a lot. I get that. But let me take you to most of the world. And they live far, far under how you are living today. I mean, I could just put it honestly. You're rich today. The poorest among us here today is rich in a global sense. And so how is it that in the midst of this economy that I can learn to be content with what I have and stop chasing, right, the people around us, the bright and shiny, and my head on a swivel all the time about what's next, or I have to have this, or this is the newest, only to realize there's going to be something that's going to be newer, that's going to come out in six months and a year, and I'm on the rat wheel, and it's just going to be over and over and over and over again. Can I have nice stuff? Absolutely. Can I reach some of the dreams that I've longed for? Absolutely. But again, it's always going to be issued. Do I have them, or do they have me. How many have heard the scripture that God said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you? How many have heard that verse before? Come on. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I think oftentimes I hear that verse quoted more times than not when people are fearful, maybe when people are, are pushing into the will of God, or maybe they have some prayer need or, or their life is unstable and we'll quote, hey, you know what the Bible says? The Lord will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And oftentimes, almost every time, we take that verse completely out of context. We apply it in the wrong place over and over and over again. 
Do you know what the whole context of that word is saying? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God says, and here's the verse, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, it has nothing to do with fear. It has nothing to do when I don't know what to do and I'm worried. It has nothing to do with all the things that we apply that verse to. It has everything to do with money. It has everything to do with contentment, to recognize that if God is with me, I have everything that I need, right? And rather than worrying about on that line, where does everything fit? Where does everything go? I can simply be a fact that I want to please God. I want to be a giver, not a taker. I want to be selfless, not selfish. I want to know that because I have been blessed, my first thought is, is that I must put God first in my financial plan and that I also need to think more about others than myself. And I certainly applaud you. Bailey and I were working on some statistics just this year that we wanted to bring to you about how generous that you have been for so many needs that we have brought to you this year, that as a church, we have given liberally to help people. And we want to reveal that to you just so that you know some of the wonderful things that God is doing through you. If greed says more, then contentment says enough. I have enough. Enough is enough. Let me just give you a little side note to all of this because I understand some of these battles are not just spiritual, but they can be psychologically and emotionally driven as well. In fact, I would think looking across most of you here today that most of you are not trying to be a greedy person, right? I think a lot of times more than it just sneaks up on us, or we are, we are not guarded enough, and, and then we realize, like, once we're in it, like, what, what has been happening? I mean, I think we've all heard people say, I just needed some retail therapy. Hello? Come on. You can, yeah? And, and what, is the, what is the drive behind that? A lot of times when we're emotionally upset, right? We're, we're challenged, and, and there's just something inside of us that says, you know what? I'm taking care of me. Hello? I heard somebody say, you know, I guess it's kind of out in the workforce that people are taking mental health days. Like they're not vacation days. They're not like, I'm just not going into work and I'm just, I just need a mental health day. Can I tell you that is something of this generation? If you are my age and when you were growing up and you told your boss, I'm taking a mental health day, can I tell you what would happen? You'd be, you'd be off the unemployment office the next day. He'd be like, what are you talking a mental health day? Get back on your job, right? <laughs> but we are emotionally driven. I mean, it's so much, I mean, I love Amazon. I love Prime. I love realizing, look again, anything I want and knowing, man, there's a chance I could get it tomorrow. At best, I can get it in two days, right? How quickly... How quickly, right? It, it, it fills a void. If you are challenged, listen, and I know that it can happen. I'm not saying this is sin. But if you are challenged more than less on retail therapy, you need to pray about that. 
That's on the line between need and desire to greed. So again, I want to tell you some personal stories. This might not be the best. I didn't run this by my wife, so I could probably get in trouble for this after the service today. But a couple of weeks ago, we were planning for a trip to go out of town later this fall. And, um, you know, it's, you know, trying to get your hotels, your, the condo and the flights and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. Sometimes it's an all-day deal, like trying to line up everything. And so we're, you know, I'm, on, I'm doing the airlines. I'm trying to get Cleveland out of Pittsburgh, out of Buffalo. And, you know, what's going to be better? What's prices? And, I, you know, and then I'd like, by the time we drive to Cleveland and, and stay overnight and park the car for a week and all that money we're sending, maybe we just fly out of, out of Erie, right? And then you look at Erie and you're like, oh, no, I can't afford to fly out of Erie, darn it. Like, is it just like hundreds of dollars more and whatever? And so in that process, I'm looking around and, and I got onto Delta's site and Delta had prices kind of that you know, you've all done it, like the basic economy, right? Um, and, and a little bit more and a little bit more, all the way to first class. And that first class ticket was obviously more expensive, but not horrendously more expensive. And right away, I kind of had something like, boy, it'd be nice to fly first class. <laughs> Jim, Debbie deserves to fly <laughs> first class. And I was trying to run the numbers, and it was definitely more expensive. It wasn't really outlandish, but it was definitely... And we never, never fly first class. And I just like, no, like we deserve this. And I booked the tickets. And I told Debbie, I said, she said, did you check Latrobe, like, which is an airport west of, uh, east of Pittsburgh, and only Spirit Airline flies out of Latrobe? And I was like, yeah, I think I looked at it. They were pretty expensive. They... <laughs> And she said, well, I'm going to look. And she looked, and it was way, way less expensive to fly out of Latrobe. And some of you kind of in our series, I kind of had to ask that question that we talked about last week. What is the wise thing to do? And I realized, you know, I'm moving from first class. Now I'm going to have to sit on a chicken box in Spirit Airline. <laughs> Man, it was a hard, fortunately, they gave me a 24-hour window to cancel my flight, which we did, and now I'm flying, I'm sitting in a chicken coop on Spirit Airline for our trip, <laughs> saving money. But I knew in that moment, right, like there, don't we all have that moment, like I deserve this, or there's, there's something that can happen to us emotionally in those kind of moments. I talked with a lady this past week, and she grew up really poor, she was an immigrant, came to the U.S., built a really, really amazing business, has done extremely well for herself. And she kind of talked and we confessed that, you know, in her home and closets, there's just, there's an exorbitant amount at times of clothes and shoes and jewelry and, you know, just kind of this process to say things that I'll probably never wear, things that they all have the tags hanging on them. She said, you know, I think I look back, some of the issue is, is that we grew up so, so poor. I mean, I wore hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs as a little girl. And finally, I lived the American dream, and I don't have to do that anymore. You see, I'm not saying any of this is in a question of being right or wrong. It's just that it's not only a spiritual issue, but sometimes it can be a psychological or even an emotionally driven issue, right? Right? 
So I think there's fairness for all of us. Our first desire is always spiritually, that God help me to understand, hey, that can be a a psychological trigger for me. That can be an emotional trigger. It's like they say, you never go grocery shopping when you're hungry, right? Because you tend to buy way more than you need. And so there is a plan for us. I read this story about a rich businessman that was disturbed disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out fishing, he asked, because I've caught enough fish for today. Why don't you catch more fish than what you need, the man said. And the fisherman said, well, what would I do with them? He said, well, you could earn more money. You could buy a bigger and a better boat. You could go out deeper. You could catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets to catch even more fish and make even more money. Soon you would have a fleet of boats and you would be rich like me. And the fisherman asked, then what would I do? And the man said, well, you could sit down finally and enjoy life. And he said to the businessman, what do you think I'm doing now? Sometimes more isn't always better. I'm going to ask the band. They're going to come and help me. We're going to close today. Let me give you just three quick tips that I believe are steps towards contentment. First of all, I believe in a Sabbath rest. I think to challenge the hecticness of our world, the keeping up pace, the emotionally driven feelings that when we're, when we're empty or when we're challenged to be a little bit more selfish than selfless or to see what everybody else has or, or to challenge yourself, why can't I have something nice? That there is an idea of a Sabbath rest. There is a place for us every week to rest and unwind without stuff. I know we are technologically driven. Debbie and I challenge ourselves all the time because sometimes before we go to sleep, we're on our phones, and sometimes when we wake up, the first thing we want to grab is our phone. And that can't we find more time to let our soul be at rest? Because invariably, not only are we checking the weather or checking Facebook, but we're on retail stores or we're on Amazon and we're just, our mind is thinking, boy, I wonder what I could get today. And sometimes we need to have a determined mindset to let ourselves rest. For us, we know in a big sense, we call Sunday our Sabbath. But maybe there is another day, right? Or, or different times throughout the week that we call a Sabbath on ourselves. How many remember the time when you weren't allowed to do anything on Sunday? It was a true day of rest and hang out with your family and just enjoy the time. Has technology made our world better? Oh, in many ways. Has it made us more negative? Absolutely. Second of all, learn the principle of simplicity. Maybe to downsize to minimize. Do I need all of this stuff? Is it creating some emotional need that needs to be filled in my life? I feel better with stuff rather than to know that God says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Has nothing to do with fear 
or when we're worried or challenged, it has everything to do to know that God has my needs committed to me and to live simplistically. Thirdly, a 10-day rule. Oftentimes when I'm challenged between a need and a want, I often give myself 10 days. Boy, there's something that I see and I'm just determined that day, I need that. I need that. And if I gave myself a one-day rule, I would go and get it. And so I give myself a 10-day rule. Day two, I need that. I need that. Day three, I, I need that. Day four, I... Day five, day six, ah, do I really need that? Day seven or day eight, oh, no, nah, that's crazy. I don't think I need, by day 10, that's ridiculous. I never, I, why would I need that, hello? More times than not, it's given me the opportunity to determine, do I really need something? But we are living in a day of instant gratification, right? that plays havoc with our emotion. Because we feel we need, we deserve. We don't give, we don't bless, but we want everything to come my way. And so could I challenge you today? Maybe for you it's a five-day rule, a seven-day rule. For me, it's a 10-day rule. More times than not, by the end of 10 days, I realize, man, that would have been the dumbest decision. I don't need that. And I guess let me finish today by saying, like, let's not be a hypocrite. Let's not believe that we are here to bless others and you don't give. Let's not believe that God doesn't talk about us being givers or the issue of tithing and you don't give and you're not a tither. We're just being hypocrites. Aren't you glad that God made it pretty easy, right? That he didn't create like, hey, I want you to give 17.76%. No, he just makes it a good flat rate to say, hey, just give me a little back, right? Put me first and watch and see that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So I know we're running a little bit late today, but just the investment that to hear from our kids, just give me just one more minute today. And what we've asked in all of these Sundays is that obviously some of this stuff gets a little bit heavy, but I want to give you just a moment. Maybe what you heard today or maybe what the Spirit of God was saying for you is maybe you just need to lock that down this morning, okay? So I promise we're just gonna be one or two minutes, but I want it to be prayerful on all of our hearts. Am I greedy? I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying, are there some of these things that kind of draw me away from putting him first or putting others first more than it, it should be? Okay. Fuller was a millionaire by the age of 30. But his success just fueled more his greed and to accomplish more. He seldom stopped to enjoy what he had earned. He hurled himself with increasing zeal into new ventures, new opportunities that promised more money, greater opportunities, and bigger investments. And then one day, unexpectedly, his wife Linda said, I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving you. You don't seem to care about us, you only seem to care about what's next, about stuff, about 
where your name is going to get applied or what building will talk about you for what you've done. All you think about is yourself. That news shook him to his very depth and forced him in that moment to reevaluate his life and the things for which he lived. Millard Fuller had an opportunity to have a trusted friend who was a follower in Jesus. And his friend told him, listen, I can only give you this truth. The only thing that can satisfy your hunger is when you commit your life to Christ. When you put him first, when you allow him to be the leader and the director of your life and how he can rebuild your life, he can rebuild your marriage, you rebuild your home. And from that very moment, Millard Fuller committed his life fully to Christ. He sold off all of his stuff. He won back the heart of his wife and of his family, and he devoted to serving the needy for the rest of his life. Now, some of you today probably don't recognize his name, but you do recognize the organization that he founded that very year in 1976. It's called Habitat for Humanity. And since that day, volunteers have built over 400,000 homes for the needy. Some that have been built right here in our own community. Can I tell you today that Millard Fuller died a richer man than if he ever tried to possess all of those finances on his own? Can I tell you that in heaven there will be a, probably a line that will last for a long, long time of people saying thank you. Thank you for not being selfish that provided a home for my family when we were in need, when we had no ability to ever have our own house because of a sacrifice that you made today my family has a new lineage you see you and I can turn the tide on greed it's by putting Christ first in our life letting him be the first of our distributions in the blessings that he's given us in realizing is this temporal or is this eternal am I being selfish or am I being selfless? These are all great questions, church, that might not be able to be fully answered today, but definitely, definitely need to be answered. And I hope that in the moments that I gave you today that you'll allow the presence of God to touch your heart. My desire is, is that we are not going to be hypocritical, that we're not going to be pretty, ugly people. So, Father, I pray today that you will help in this need that catches all of us, this desire of wants and needs and mores, and, and the challenge because we're so grateful that we live in a, in a country that allows us these kind of things, that, that we as followers of you need to be that much more in tune to where we draw the line to the things that we can enjoy and understand the fruits of our labor and to have nice things without question without being a matter that do we have them or do they have us so I pray God you will help us as a church even in our giving strategy this year is not just to put it into bank accounts but to bless it to other organizations that are trying to help the hurting and the needy in our own community and so as we have been able to bless 
the Foster Erie program and last month, World Serve and the water projects. I pray God that our giving will continue to increase and the blessings that people are giving above and beyond this quarter so that track can be paid for. That, that Erie Pal and all the work that Officer Tom and what they're doing for the disadvantaged youth of our city, that they are gonna be blessed in knowing that they are partnering with people that believe in the longevity, in the eternal of our children of this community as well. So God, thank you for these moments. Thank you for the investment. Thank you for the worship and the praise and the opportunity that we had to be on this Sabbath together with this church. Father, I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.